Your life is an opportunity. We live deliberately, relentlessly pursuing our goals. We don't settle for mediocrity. We aspire to greatness. We are mindful of the process, but we demand results. We embrace our role as leaders, and we lead by example. There is no finish line. We are leveling up every day until the end. We will win together. Welcome to the Landlording Life Podcast, where landlording is a verb. It is a way of life. And today we have a guest. His name is Dan, and he does Resilient Real Estate Investing, which is a podcast and a newsletter that is gaining a lot of traction. I'm starting to see it everywhere. So a really good job highlighting real estate investors and the actions they're taking today. So happy to have Dan on. Thanks for joining me today. What's going on, man? Jeff, it's such an honor to to be here with you. I feel like it was just a couple of weeks ago where I had you on my show, and it's I'm so excited to be on your show, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Absolutely, yeah. It was uh, it was a pleasure to go on real resilient real estate investing for the second time a couple of weeks ago, and the first time I went on was actually the first time I ever did a podcast, and I learned a lot, and I saw you were having so much fun back there that here I am today. Now, uh, now I'm on the other side of the table, and it's all surreal. Yeah, it's what I've found with podcasting is that it's just a great way to network. I mean, when you have a podcast, you're you're out there, you're hungry for people to come on your show, and the more interesting people obviously make better shows. I mean, case in point, yourself, and more interesting people are just they're just great to network with. They're great to have in your Rolodex, and I'm I'm excited to have you kind of in that Rolodex. If I could be so bold, and uh, you know, look where it is. I'm now on your show. I've learned the same. It is a great way to build relationships and. Uh... I've made some friends along the way, even though I'm only 10 episodes in. It's been a good decision. I'm glad I got involved and thank you for inspiring me to do so. So in addition to the real estate podcast, the real estate newsletter, it's not just theory because you're a hands-on real estate investor as well. I believe you own some properties. Uh, can you tell us about that? Correct. So I own a couple properties up in Milwaukee. I live in Chicago. Um, so over the last couple of years, I've picked up four properties up in Milwaukee and uh, I am closing, quickly closing on a duplex. I'm going to house hack on the, in the suburbs outside of Chicago. So once it closes my portfolio, it's you know nowhere near as, as big as yours, but I'm quickly coming for you. It's, uh, it'll be valued right around you know, about 1.3 million um, when it's all said and done across the, the six units, five of which will be rented out. Excellent. That is awesome. And to be fair, I have a couple of years on you. You're a little bit younger, younger man than I am. <laughs> You'll get here. But um, that's a great start. Uh, four properties in Milwaukee and now the duplex in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, phenomenal. So when did you get started with the properties in Milwaukee? What year was that? Yeah, so I got started in 2021. Um, and I feel it in speaking with a lot of investors with my own show, it's just kind of funny how many people got their start, whether it was podcasting, investing, or building their own business during COVID. Uh, and I'm, I'm one of them, so candidly. And I started my first year, ended up picking up three properties in Milwaukee. The reason why Milwaukee is just because it's, it's a much more affordable market compared to Chicago. You know, Chicago, you're looking at $300,000 for a, a decent rental property, whereas up in Milwaukee, you can still get properties for 100000 and that's not specific to Milwaukee alone. There's plenty of markets in the Midwest where you can pick up houses for, for $100,000 that are good rentals. Um, but for me, Milwaukee just stuck. I've got family up there. It's a pretty close drive compared to Chicago. And, uh, you know, 
I do love football and I am a big Bears fan, but I do have a healthy amount of respect for the Packers. So I feel like uh, you should at least tacitly like the professional sports team in the markets that you're going to be uh, operating in. That's a funny way to look at it. Actually, it's pretty funny. The first uh, property I ever bought to do my real estate investing was in River Forest, Illinois, because I was living in downtown Chicago. No and way. Believe, yeah, 2006, I bought a house. It was the cheapest house in River Forest, and it was $360,000. And I sold it for $420,000, which made me a profit of $0. I broke in exactly even. It was my first flip, and I learned a lot, and I painted a lot, and <laughs> it, it built a foundation. But it's interesting, when you look back at that same house in River Forest, Illinois, it's worth about what I sold it for. So it does show um, geographical matters and uh, being in the right markets can matter. I remember also when I was starting out, I looked seriously at Kansas City because I saw that as a high cash flow market. Milwaukee seems very similar, high cash flow market. So did you buy one house, see how it was working by the next house? Or, or once you decided one, you knew you were going to have to do a couple to scale? Yeah, that's a great question. And I was not nearly that thought out when it comes to to how I was going to scale or anything like that. My whole deal is we just gotten married, myself and my wife, we had some money put aside. She was kind of like, yeah, we own real estate. Let's, it, it makes sense on paper, right? But let's kind of feel it out a little bit. So my whole strategy with the, my, our first property was I just don't want to buy a nightmare. I want to buy a property that is a a solid double. I don't need to hit a home run. And we underwrote it at doing about $200 in cash flow a month. And it's doing probably about five, $600 a month now. And that's just all because of repairs and when repairs and vacancy, we've been very lucky. Uh, we also did a lot of, we did a fair amount of work when we first bought it, which has kind of, you know, given us some runway, but that was our whole strategy, right? I just did not want it to be a nightmare where my wife would look at me and say, Hey, I love you. And I love how passionate you are. But maybe we should be looking at doing something else with, you know, our money and how we want to build, you know, our foundation for wealth, right? That's the way I approach everything is downside first. You know, the you got to take care of the downside and hopefully the upside takes care of itself, but you got to protect the downside. And it sounds like you did some very conservative underwriting with projecting 200 a month and getting five to 600. You're planning, planning for the worst almost. Well, I think that when you're underwriting, you should always factor in a healthy amount of repairs, capital expenditures, vacancy. So when I first underwrote that property, I, I think that it was about 25% is what I was factoring in. So at 25% plus 10%, and this is of the total gross rental uh, per, per month, and then 10% for property management, at the end of it, I was still projecting about 12% return. And so I figured, hey, this is, uh, I feel like this is pretty conservative, 12%. But what you kind of realize once you get into it, and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are on this, but things don't break every single month. You don't have vacancy every single month. You don't need a new roof every single month. Um, they do come, then they're chunk payments, right? But on a monthly basis, you know, there's a lot of cash flow that you're, you're pulling in, especially if you underwrite conservatively. And that was a, a nice little, uh, little surprise I had. I don't know why I thought that I would have you know, 25% every single month kind of baked in that everything would, something would come up every single month that would kind of feed into that. So there'll be whole months where nothing breaks, no vacancy, and you just kind of, you bankroll that. That is the way it is. The big expenses are lumpy. So yeah, put aside a lot of that five and $600 a month just in case. And then 
one day you will need a new roof and it might not be the day you want it to happen. So <laughs> you got to exactly. be ready for it. You know, back when I started a lot more people, I mean, we still hear about the 1% rule all the time, but we hear a lot less about the 50% rule, which is that 50% of your rents are going to be gone in expenses. And that is factoring in for major things like, you know, heating systems and roofs and stuff. And people debate it and I've done better than it. And that does include property management. It's 40% rule for self-managed. But I have found that that little benchmark has been pretty accurate. And especially if you're not like super, super efficient on management like I am, other people like they, they really don't realize that half the rents are going to go to expenses. And this is not counting the financing. But, you know, you, you work hard and you're efficient and you're making sure your, your rents are close to market and you can do a little bit better than that. But I think it's a good assumption. I would have to look back and candidly, I'm such a huge real estate nerd and the 50% rule does not ring a bell. So you learn something new every day, very familiar with the 1% rule. Um, so I'd have to go back and actually see if that, how accurate that is, at least for my portfolio, but it just goes back to what I do with my show is like real estate's not passive. It's not easy. Things happen all the time. And I always just cringe a little bit when I see people talking about how risk-free and how easy and how cheap it is. You know, you can buy a property with a 0% down, you know, doing creative finance. And it's just, you know, things happen. Roofs break, water heaters break. If you have vacancy, people tear up your property. Um, so just it just comes with the territory. Yeah, likewise, I, I look at it the same way and I have the same cringes when I hear that. And I hope they find your show and get the right information and mine as well. Yeah, the 50% rule really... You don't understand it until you're way down the road or have a ton of properties because it's not evenly dispersed. Like if you have 20 properties and one roof goes, you factor that into all the properties. And then, you know, it's this um, compilation of expenses over the very long term. But another thing I want to mention, since I can still remember all the stuff I was learning when I did my real estate education in like 2003, 2004, 2005, I was dying to get into the market, but it was so overheated. So I waited until 2008 to really hold the rental property for the long term. And of course, we were still going to fall in prices for the next few years, but it was so far off the top of 2006 that the cash flow finally became attractive. But what I wanted to mention was if you talk to a real estate investor in 1975 or 1980, and they were in Cleveland or Milwaukee, they'd be calling it the 2% rule, not the 1% rule. And that's amazing to think about. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I wonder how much of it was was the financing on that that side, just pushing down pushing down prices. I mean, I was having a discussion with my parents the other, you know, over the weekend, and you know, they said they bought their home in like the the mid '90s, and they were ecstatic that they were able to get a a rate that wasn't double digits. I think that my dad said I was so, I was this financial wizard. I found a way to get a nine point seven five whatever percent uh, mortgage rate. So it's, you know, times change and lending is such a huge critical part of this business. Um, but if you can lock in a great rate, you know, and just hold for the long term, you're, you're going to be doing all right. So I, I'd imagine that those people who purchased in Cleveland and Milwaukee in the 70s and 80s, they're, they're doing all right, suggesting that they manage that property all right. If you buy anything for 2% rule prices, you're going to do all right, whether the property appreciates or even if it goes down, as long as you don't sell it, your yield is going to be so good at those numbers that, you know, I've tried to style my investing after them. And then also be an attractive market. I try to have a little bit of it all, but it's interesting to see how the expectations and the yields have compressed since then. And I actually only see more of the same as we've become accustomed to a low interest rate type world. And especially the powerful people have become accustomed to that. I don't see us, you know, being high interest rate for decades. I think as soon as we can break inflation, we're probably coming back down, but enough predictions. <laughs>
personal portfolio doing pretty well. The first property manager has been so far so good. First property manager has been a rock star. That was another thing that I really wanted to make sure was not a, a nightmare because I'd done my research. I, I had been studying real estate for three years prior to us making our first purchase and just having a bad property management, bad property manager mixed with a nightmare property is just something that I did. That's a road I just did not want to go down. I spent a lot of time hunting and looking for a good property manager, asking around, and then a, fam a family friend who has rental properties in Milwaukee uh, has it managed with this property manager. And so I you know, used that relationship, was able to get a meeting with her, and it's been great. And I think that if you're a newer investor looking to get a start in this industry, relying on a property manager, I think could be a very useful situation to be in because property managers, they know the market, they know what it's like, they know how to overcome certain issues that come up. And so long as they're good, right, and you're willing to learn, um, that could just be a huge way to increase, you know, your overall education in the industry. I mean, with my property manager, like she's got her agent license, she's got contractors that she works with. And so it's almost been like training wheels, right? Helping me better understand the market, better understand terminology, better understand, you know, what it's like being a real estate investor to the point now where I'm able to use a lot of those lessons when it comes to this property that I'm going to be self-managing. I think that's probably what I'm going to be doing for the foreseeable future, more self-managing, buying in and around where I'll be moving to out in the Western suburbs. Um, but then again, you know, who knows? Deals could come up anywhere. And that's the beauty of having experience working with a property manager where you can switch markets, expand into different markets and know, you know, how am I going to be able to find a great manager for this great property that I picked up in a Kansas City or a Cleveland or or Sarasota, Florida, right next to you. That is a really cool way to look at it. You have a tool in your toolbox that I don't have. I've always been, whatever it was, I, I couldn't get over investing far from where I lived. So much so that I had to move because I wanted to find a better real estate market. But that is, you're empowered to chase deals that you know are good, regardless of the geographic location. So I think that's a cool way to look at it. I, you said you were studying for three years prior to your purchase in 2021. What were some of the things that were impactful in your studies? The whole journey kind of got kicked off when I got my first job out of college. I was a entry-level salesperson at a medical technology company. Uh, I don't really know how much I'm able to talk about it, but seeing as the executives for that company were literally just found guilty of, of fraud, I could probably share a little bit more. Um, the company's name was Outcome Health. I came in and I felt amazing. I felt we had three baristas on staff. We had free lunches. There was a kegerator, snacks. Like it was, it was the whole deal. It was like working for like a Google or a Facebook, but it was early on that everybody was buzzing. Everybody was excited, right? You're just going to work your ass off until you get to the point where you could be head of sales for Outcome Health Europe or Outcome Health Australia. That's what people were talking about in the office. And you saw sales guys who are making three, $400,000 a year. And I thought I had hitched my wagon to, uh, you know, that next Facebook or that next Google. What ended up happening was that we all got pulled into a, all the sales team. We got pulled into a conference room and our sales manager said, uh, there's going to be some fake news from the Wall Street Journal and uh, don't listen to any of it. And also don't talk to any reporters. And then a seasoned sales guy, you know, I seasoned, he's probably 32 years old. He raised his hand and said, what is a... A reporter look like you know do they have like the little hat with like a little press thing <laughs> standing outside their hat 
Uh, and our sales manager, bless her heart, she just was like, I don't know what to tell you. This is uncharted territory. So what ended up happening was, is, you know, layoffs, the company just went down this death spiral, it went from like 300 employees to about 50. Um, and then they offered a voluntary severance package to anybody that wanted it. And basically said, if you don't take this, we can't guarantee there's going to be another severance package round. So I kind of, and it was so dramatic and so short, right? Like we're talking over the course of maybe a month when that news hit. And then I ended up taking that severance package. Like I, it shook me, right? Like I thought I was in this corporate hierarchy. I was, you know, we were growing like crazy. I was a, I was at my entry level sales, you know, appointment setter position. I was like hitting records. Like I was doing really well. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to become a salesman, sales executive. I'm going to make all this money. And then, you know, I could be head of sales for outcome health Canada or whatever. But when that all fell apart, I it really, it was like a coming to Jesus moment where I realized like, Hey, there is no such thing as job security. I got to be in charge of my own destiny. And that's really when I started researching like, okay, what should I be doing to ensure that I am financially stable and I can provide for my future family? And real estate really stuck stuck to me um, because there's just so many ways on how you can make money. And it's a pretty forgiving asset class when you think about it. You know, loan pay down, appreciation, depreciation, cash flow. And so that mixture of those four, it really kind of pushed me towards real estate. And so for those three years, I needed to learn, you know, how to find a deal, how to find a market, how to find a property manager, how to find, you know, contractors, like all this stuff. While at the same time, I need to learn how do I become good at sales, right? And make enough money to where I could go out and buy real estate. And at the same time, make sure I don't blow any of the, like blow all this money. I'm not living paycheck to paycheck to ensure that I've got enough money to go out and, and buy real estate. So it was a, it was a three-year process, a three-year journey. But once we, you know, that happened and then I got married, right? Two incomes while living basically on the lesser of the two incomes enabled us to hit the ground running in 2021, where we went out and bought three properties. There was so much in the last minute or two of what you said, there are takeaways for younger people, for, for everyone really. You learned an extremely valuable lesson young about the job security. You know, building sales skills is great, but you can never rely on one company. And it was funny, you mentioned something about the perks and the baristas. It reminded me of this book I read a while ago. I looked it up. It was about HubSpot by Daniel Lyons. It was called Disrupted, My Misadventure in the Startup Bubble. And he described how they would overdo it with the perks. And it was really just a way to like trick young people into working there so they're happy and we can pay them less. And I find corporation life to be exploitative. Like I wouldn't want to be a part of that. But I can remember way back, one of the first real estate seminars I ever went to, the guy described a case study of a woman and she worked 30 years and she had a pension. And the pension, you know, was decent in her retirement, but she actually bought one four family property in her early 30s. And the four family property was paying her more than her pension. So she spent all day, every day at work, and she got X for the pension. And she bought one four family, you know, self managed it. So I don't know, five, 10 hours a month on a four family. And that paid her out more in her retirement than her entire career. And that was a big smash in the face for me. I'm like, okay, I'm, I know which way I need to go. It's so funny. I invited you on the podcast and I imagined we'd be talking about the media company and we end up talking about investing and that's good because there were so many lives, but I do want to hear about resilient REI and like how it occurred to you. Like I can do that. It took me a long time. You know, I listened to podcasts. I'm like, how do they do that? I don't know how I'm going to do that. <laughs> I had to go on one and, and it kind of happened, but 
How did it happen for you? Before I graduated college, I had another podcast and it was called The Founders Report. Well, I, I guess originally it was called The Entrepreneurial Report, but I quickly learned that nobody knew how to spell entrepreneurial, which made it really hard for people to find the podcast. And I'd say, you know, I've got a podcast. It's called The Entrepreneurial Show. So anyway, the whole podcast was where I would run around the city of Chicago, where I would put a microphone in people's faces who said that they were either starting companies, investing in companies, or, you know, for in the startup ecosystem here in Chicago. Learned a lot. Learned a lot that just because you say that you're a CEO or a founder on your LinkedIn page doesn't necessarily mean that you are a good one um, or one that should be answering questions, right, on a podcast. So I, I learned a lot about the business world. I learned a lot about the investor world from that show. Um, and I made some decent money. I sold some ads on it. It, it was nothing huge. But I use that to get the best job possible after I graduated, which is how I got that job at Outcome Health back in the day. Um, but when it comes to the resilience um, REI, you know, I, I just I'm such a fan of real estate and I'm such a nerd about real estate. And I remembered when I had that show, you know, you could go into to any conversation and say, yeah, I'm the host of the, the Founders Report, the podcast. And people are like, ooh. Like, ooh, let's, let's, let's talk. Let's, uh, let's, let's hang out. Right. It's, it was a great way to network with people who were so, you know, so much above my weight class. Right. Um, and that helped. And I thought, well, Hey, if I just do a newsletter and I profile people who are, you know, who are real estate investors, I'll grow my network. And so it started out with a newsletter. Um, I grew that to a little bit. And then I was just like, I've got so many people who, have come on the newsletter that I've profiled, you know, filled out 10 or 15 questions. I'm like, there's got to be ways I can, you know, keep that relationship alive. So then I started doing a Tuesday newsletter where I had people on that they would write an article on short-term renting or burring or landlording, like their advice. Uh, and I would post that. And everything that I do, whether it's with the newsletter or the podcast, I really think it's important that it's not all about me. And not about what I know, because there are so I've been doing it for a little bit, but there are so many people who have got so much more experience than me, uh, case in point yourself. So I, I feel like it's much more important for me to ask you questions on how you run your business, you know, the royal you, Jeff, or, or whomever I'm, I'm speaking with or have on the newsletter. And that has just been a real great way to expand my own uh, understanding of real estate, my own market, and have helped a lot of people better understand real estate as well. So I had the newsletter, the newsletter was doing great. And then I was just like, I got that podcast bug. Like I just, I want to, I want to do a podcast. Uh, and so I launched it in August. I think I'm at like 63 episodes now. Uh, it's a top 50 real estate investing podcast, which isn't really saying a whole lot because there are not a whole lot of current real estate investing podcasts. Um, but it feels good to say. So that's what I do. Um, you know, I have people on the show on Mondays, um, and then I have the the newsletter that comes out on Tuesdays. Uh, on Wednesdays, I sometimes will speak with brands and have like their perspective on the market. And Thursdays, I have a recording of a of my the Twitter space I do on Tuesdays, and then Friday I've got a newsletter. So there's it's like a whole like content treadmill that I, that I'm doing, but it's been a lot of fun to build. Top 50 is awesome. You don't have to take anything away from that. I mean, you earned it. I listened to the episodes and I even, I learned some things from people who are like really young. I think uh, you had the Burr kid on and he must be like under 25 or something. He's and like 24. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I listened to that whole episode and I was like, wow, that was, he's doing some things that didn't even really occur to me that I should probably do. So the fact that you can provide that kind of value, it's impressive and it's really cool. How many episodes did you get with the Founders Report? That's a great question. I think I got to about 70. Um, wow. Yeah, I got to about 70 and towards the end of it, I was just like, you know what? I can't live in my parents' basement after I graduate, right? Like I need to be able to make some money. So I was really using it as a, a stepping stone, really trying to interview people and be like, hey, you know, are you, are you hiring for this really cool startup? Or do you know anybody who's hiring after the conversation? Um, and I don't think that it's available anymore because the hosting fees were much more expensive back then. And I think that I'd be pretty embarrassed knowing what I know now about podcasting if I had to re-listen to any of it. So it's probably good that's lost in the ether. But how valuable it was with the reps and building your foundation of speaking to people, interviewing, speaking on camera. Now it all makes sense, honestly. I didn't know that story. Yeah, it was it was a great learning experience for sure. So you mentioned being a big fan of real estate and studying it for a while. Who are some of like the bigger content creators that you admire or some big real estate people that you took a cue from? First and foremost, we got to give credit to Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets has done a, a great job of, uh, you know, bringing in that next generation of real estate investors. Um, you know, I've listened to that that show, the the BP main podcast show, for a while. I haven't really kept up with it recently, but I can remember when I was going through that three year, I don't even know what to call it, like study study process, and I listened to that show. And at the end of it, they would say they'd always ask the guest. Um, what would you say to somebody who hasn't started or or started but then gave up, right? Like, what what motivation would you give that person? And I remember hearing that and being like, I will not be one of those people. I will not be one of those people who gives up. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. I will. I will do that. I will do this. You know, come hell or high water. So that show really it helps spur the motivation. Um, haven't kept up with it recently, but what I have been listening to a lot recently is uh, Michael Zuber's One Rental at a Time. He's got an outstanding YouTube show, and I, I, I model a decent amount of what I do off of him. Um, he is an investor in the San Francisco Bay Area, invests in Fresno, so he works with property managers. He, I guess it's still in the same state, but California is such a big state. I kind of view it as out-of-state investing, um, but he does a daily uh, financial news all geared towards the real estate investing world, which is really great. And then he has guests on. Uh, plus, he's he's an author. So I'm a huge fan of him. And that's actually why when I started the podcast, the first episode, I had to have Michael Zuber on the show. And I'm like, I, I got to have him on. I got to have him. I got to figure out a way. How, how can I get his email address? How can I get him on? Um, so that, I would say that he, he, if anybody's coming to me and they're looking for, you know, who you should be following when it comes to just, real estate knowledge, I would say Michael Zuber is probably, probably number one. That's phenomenal. And it's a phenomenal endorsement for bigger pockets too. The fact that they inspired you never to give up. Um, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard about them really. Uh, I used to listen to bigger pockets way, way back in the day and stuff. And I actually went to their first ever convention they had in Colorado. I think it was 2010. It's the only real estate convention I ever brought my wife to, but they, uh, they've done some good things. If they've influenced you that heavily, that's, that's incredible. One thing I wanted to ask you, and I actually got out of order in the questioning, but I'm going to circle back just because I'm interested, is a lot of people your age, I, I feel like, get really um, into short-term rentals, but you've been an annual person so far. How do you feel about short-term rentals? Is it something you think you're going to get into, or do you have any views on it? I love the idea of short-term rentals, and I will one day get into it, whether I'm doing it myself or I am part of like a syndication group where I'm on the more passive side of having exposure to that asset class. Um, I am very, I find it a fascinating 
subset within real estate. A lot of the content I do is on the short-term rental side, do a whole, you know, article once a month in the newsletter on, um, on short-term rentals. I actually just had an interview with Michael Chang who does uh, Airbnb arbitrage. So I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I'm currently not doing anything with it, but I, I would lie if I haven't spent a significant amount of time late at night after a couple adult beverages, just watching YouTube videos of people like building really just designer built Airbnbs in the forest, right? You know, A-frame, super modern, uh, and thinking to myself, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to, I'm going to do that one day. So I'm a huge fan, but I'm currently not doing anything in, in the, in that space. What is Airbnb arbitrage? Is that when you sublease? Yeah. So it's where you, you work with the current landlord or the management company, and then you Airbnb out one of the units, um, a little bit of a lightning rod within the, the landlord world. Right. And so that's why I wanted to speak with them. Like, you know, people who are new to real estate love the idea of being able to Airbnb without buying the property. But a lot of landlords cringe at the idea of somebody doing that with their properties, their hard-earned properties. So I was just—it's—it's it's another benefit of having the show, right? I'm able to bring in industry experts and be like, "Why should people do that? Why would landlords want to do want to do that?" So a million percent, you're getting like this master's level education while you're actually doing what you love and and making some money selling some ads. It's it's like the best idea ever. I'm happy to see it. But um, we're getting towards the end. I wanted to ask. Um, you know, what are some of the whys behind the real estate investing? Is it, we touched on it. I think it's to not have to rely on the corporate world. Is that the big why behind it? I would say that's a, that's a pretty big, big reason. Um, I think that there's also just a little bit of the entrepreneurship in it. I feel like building out a, a real estate portfolio is a very light touch entrepreneurial you know, it has a, has a nice entrepreneurial streak to it. Kind of going back to my original podcast, the founder support. You know, I saw these, these founders who were running these startups and they're just running in a hamster wheel, just running to get that next big customer, that next round of funding. And it was really not appealing to me, but I did identify with, you know, owning your own thing, right? Owning your own business and being in the real estate space, you're able to do that, but you're able to do that a, on a much less risky basis. Right, so long as you buy the property right, you maintain it right, you're gonna have you're gonna have some solid income, right? As opposed to launching, you know, the Airbnb Uber of used cupcakes or whatever, whatever buzzwords you want to use to build your build your startup. Um, that not being a great example, but it what it's what comes to mind. You know, at one you could have a, a great month and then you could have an awful month, and then you're racing to get that next round of funding, and then all of a sudden the banks collapse and there's everybody locks up funding, right? So it's very up and down, up and down, up and down. Whereas if you build your real estate portfolio right, it's a lot less cyclical. I thought it was a great example. I think you should run out and trademark the Airbnb of Uber used cupcakes. That's good stuff. I um, did have I did ha I did have a conversation. It wasn't about the Airbnb Ubering of, but it was a guy like selling like used cupcakes like with bakeries <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, it was it was just rough. What uh, last question is? What are the uh, what are the goals for the next five ten years? Out? The next five to ten years, I would like to get uh, resilient real estate investing to be the unequivocally best podcast for real estate investing. That's I think the first first bit. Um, I think that I've got a pretty good idea of what I need to do to bring it there. And it's just going to take a lot of elbow grease to, to make it happen. Um, and so I, that is the, the shorter of the, those long-term goals is probably the five-year plan, 10-year plan. I'd like to 10 X my portfolio. I'm current, I'm 
by the time this comes out, I'll probably have about five rental properties after this house that close closes. I'd like to bring that up to at least 25, 30 rental properties. Um, whether they're in uh, Milwaukee or they're in Chicago, that's that's my goal on the uh, on the real estate front. And I think that I've got a pretty good chance of doing both of those. Agreed. I believe in you. I think you'll get it done. Thank you for coming on today, Dan. And uh, where can we find you online? Obviously, look up Resilient Real Estate Investing, the podcast and the newsletter, and where we're about on Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, so Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, it's all Resilient, R-E-I. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably are, are pretty familiar that REI stands for Real Estate Investing and not the Outdoor Gear Shop. Excellent, Dan. Well, thanks for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Men's Victory Alliance. We need your help in spreading the light to other men who need it. Please leave a rating and review so we can grow and get the message out. Visit mensvictoryalliance.com and stay in touch by subscribing to the email list. You will receive a PDF written by Jeff Higgins for signing up. Follow us on socials and YouTube. We are always working on providing value to the man who is looking to level up and win.